Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Big Blue Insider is on. News Radio 630 WLAP. With this team right now, and maybe where it's going, what keeps you up at night? Um, that we're not going to have that big. That is John Calipari talking to Seth Greenberg of ESPN on the network's Pro Day coverage from Wednesday night. Welcome to the Big Blue Insider. Yeah, we're leading off at least right this moment with basketball because tonight is Madness Night. Of course, next week it's blue-white, but tonight it's Madness. They'll pack the place coming up very shortly, and uh, it's going to be fun as it always is. You won't learn a whole lot about the basketball team except who likes what song and dance moves and all that. But it is, it's a tradition, yeah. But interesting that that was Calipari's comment to Seth Greenberg. We're going to hear more from Calipari coming up uh, in our next segment. And a little bit later on, Chuck Martin, the newest assistant coach for Calipari, will join us and talk about this team. He, of course, joined the team um, early, uh, well, actually mid-summer, right before they went to Canada. So we'll find out about that experience and what he has to say. This guy has a really impressive resume as far as uh, the, the stops in his career are concerned. He's coached all over the country, uh, including a previous day with Calipari in Memphis. So we'll find out about that as well. But we must talk about football naturally because tomorrow night is a huge game. And they're all big, yes, but this is a swing game, quote-unquote. Uh, it's a game matching two 5-1 and one teams that are still incredibly teed off about how they lost last week. Of course, Kentucky spanked at Georgia. And then Mizzou comes from 11 down or something like that. No, Mizzou blew an early lead, took the lead, and then lost to LSU. So anyhow, uh, and and we know what happens. We've talked about it all week when these teams play. So it's a 7.30 start. Be a little chilly. Might be a little rainy. But uh, just be ready for Kentucky weather. Our coverage starts at 3.30 with the KSR boys. 5.30 network coverage with Christy and Dusty and Jeremy. And then Tom and Jeff and I will take over 30 minutes before game time and take you right into kickoff. And a little bit later on as well, we'll share an excerpt from this week's Wildcat Whip when Tom and Jeff got together with me here in the garage and previewed the Cats and the Tigers. Kind of an extended version of what we do pregame. Mark Stoops talked to the media yesterday after practice, and one of the things he mentioned, really it was one of the first things he mentioned, was how the Wildcats have to get back to playing disciplined football. If you heard us last night, defensive backs told us that their communications were terrible, and that's why they look lost half the time, with Georgia just cutting them up with the passing game. So they said we have to get back to discipline with our eyes. And uh, Mark Stoops said discipline in general. 
I didn't really like the, the discipline we played with a week ago with penalties at critical moments. You know, we got to get back to playing, you know, having that edge and having an attitude, but but having the discipline that it takes and, and proper execution. It, it just comes down to playing good football. And, uh, you know, we did that two, two weeks ago, you know, for, for long stretches. And this past week, we didn't do it very good. In, and the game got away from us very quickly. So uh, we've got to play a complete game and really concentrate on the little things and the details. As for the offense, John Clay asked Stoops about Devin Leary and about potential problems with him not being on the same page with receivers or is Leary having trouble with progressions or what? I firmly believe, and so does our team, that, that we will put it together at some point in time. You know, and... Uh, and, and get all on the same page. You know, it's not all on Devin. You know, and, and watching the film and, and doing things, again, it, it, in every game you've seen it, and we've all seen it, some amazing throws. But we can't have a protection issue here, a, a penalty there, a drop pass, you know, and then a missed throw. You put it all together, and, and it's it's not good, you know, as a unit. It, it's not all on him. And you, you've, we've all seen that. We've seen a protection problem. We've seen drops in, in critical moments. Well, that doesn't give confidence to the unit. And so I've, I've seen us execute at a higher level here this week. So can they take it from the practice field to the game? And if they do that, they've got a big shot at beating Missouri. If they don't and keep making the mistakes, the, the undisciplined moves, uh, Missouri will win. Because they're well coached, they've got talent. They're virtually the same plane in the SEC as Kentucky. They got a lot of good players, and they are ticked off. As you know, they got that emotional edge coming into this one. Kentucky should be ticked off as well. So, crowd might make the difference. And Stoops has talked about it all week. He needs a good crowd there, and he says he believes they will get one. Uh, some other things going on around the country before we get to UK basketball. And by the way, early season single game tickets are available. Go to ukathletics.com. Uh, actually, they will be available next week, October 17th at 5 p.m., uh, starting with the Georgetown exhibition on October the 27th. The first nine home games, single game tickets, will go on sale October 17th at 5 o'clock. I wanted to get to uh, the story about Mary Lou Retton. The fact that, as you may have heard, she is in terrible shape, critical condition, because she's fighting for her life because she has a rare form of pneumonia. And now Mattress Mac has stepped in. Yeah, that's the same guy who loves to place huge bets on sporting events. He has donated $50,000 to help Redden's family pay her hospital bills. And that likely will just put a dent in it. Because apparently Mary Lou Redden does not have medical insurance. And she is, as her daughter said, literally fighting for her life. So Jim McInvale, Mattress Mac, ownership of the Gallery Furniture Retail Chain, has stepped in and made a huge donation. Yeah, he is a big-time right-winger, uh, staying away from the politics and all that. But let's just say... And because Mary Lou Redden lives in Houston, that's Houston's kind of the uh, gymnastics capital of the country, if you will. That's uh, apparently where the biggest and best schools are for young kids. But that's where Mary Lou Redden has been living. She is a West Virginia native from Fairmont, my father's hometown, but relocated to Houston and now is just in terrible shape. So 
Matrix Mac has stepped in. Mattress Mac. And the reason he is coming forward, making this public, um, apparently it's already grown. He wants people to, obviously maybe not match his total, but to know that this is going on. The spot fund campaign has reached $379,000. So that should help. Mattress Mac, you might know, won $75 million bucks. When the Astros won the World Series, and uh, he bet six point nine million on the Astros this year, and could win forty three and a half million if they win it again. He's lost some of these bets as well, but he can afford it. So tip of the cap to him, Gary Danielson. If you look at the headlines, it looks like he kind of stepped on his tongue, but really he didn't. He's quoted as saying, Neyland Stadium is, quote, just about the same as other SEC venues. That's where uh, a headline is not fair. And this is on the Knox News website. But if you read the article, he basically says 80,000, 100,000, if they're all screaming, who can tell the difference? Loud is loud. He said whether you're playing at Ole Miss, LSU, Florida, in the swamp, or Georgia, for a football player, loud is loud so and he's right and i've been to many and he's right you know it, it's the kind of thing like i said where the headline doesn't do the story justice and you could easily jump on gary danielson for that john calipari up next a little later on chuck martin of the uk staff on 6 30 wlap coming up a little bit later on eli gain from channel 18 wlex bbn tonight is going to join us he made the road trip down to georgia so we'll get his thoughts on what he saw down there as it relates to what's going to happen tomorrow night when the Wildcats take on those Missouri Tigers. And he has been at practice this week as well, talking to some of the players. Uh, a little bit later on as well, we will recap what has happened. It's been a busy week, and we'll recap what has happened through the week. But uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to talk some basketball uh, now and in the next segments as well, we're going to hear from Chuck Martin, the newest Kentucky assistant coach. He joined the Wildcats just before their trip to Toronto. Has a really interesting background. Has been a head coach. Has worked literally all over the country. I mean, border to border. And so he has a pretty good handle on what's happening right now in college basketball. And one of his previous stops was Memphis. He was down there with Calipari when the Tigers made their run to the championship game, and just by an eyelash, missed winning it all, thanks to a crazy three-pointer at the end by Kansas. And that's just one of several championship games where had it gone the other way, John Calipari would never take criticism at all. He'd have, well, he might take some, but it wouldn't be warranted because he would have, woulda, coulda, shoulda, like four National titles in his hip pocket. Should have three here, maybe more. But he should have had one in Memphis as well. But, you know, he'll be the first to tell you that's the way it goes. I'll tell you what, if I lost a game like that, like any of these ones, where well, the Kentucky games, where you miss free throws, where you missed, and I don't mean during the regionals, I mean in the championship game a couple times, I couldn't get out of bed the next day. I don't see how these coaches do it. But anyhow, we'll hear from Chuck Martin coming up. But John Calipari, of course, was front and center, center stage Wednesday night for Pro Day on ESPN. And 
explain the reason they do it dates back to 2015, the 14-15 team, the, the team that might have gone undefeated. There's another one. How do you get out of bed after losing that game? Well, I lay a lot of that on Calipari for not having either Booker or Euless, not both, at some point when they couldn't get off a shot, three straight possessions, halfway through the second one, I'm calling timeout, putting one of those two in there. Can't put them in both in for defensive reasons. But anyhow, that's when I'm platooning my butt up. But that's easy for me to say now. Because Andrew Harrison hit some, or was it Aaron, hit the huge shots down the stretch for Kentucky. Anyway, uh, we're going to hear from Calipari here in a moment, but he explained to the uh, Dari Noka and to uh, Seth Greenberg that that's why they have Pro Day. They started it back then because they were getting so many requests from pro teams to come check out all the talent they had that year. So why not just throw a net over it, bring them all in, and at the same time, get yourself some publicity, yes, sir, and criticism. People were ripping on Kentucky for that, but they'd do it if they could. We know this. And then Greenberg asked Calipari, I thought, a really interesting question. Cal, this season, how are you going to define success for your team and this group this season? Well, how do you define it at Kentucky? There's one better, way. You better hang you on better, to those banners. You right? better, yeah. you, and, and, and it's playing for that thing that at the end of the year, you're one of those teams. And so, you know, we we got all these big guys out. We're playing more four-on-four four tonight. We have three seven-footers, one uh, should be here on campus tomorrow. We have um, the two with the foot injuries who are out another five, six weeks. Um, but you must have rim protection. If you don't have post presence, your team's a fraud. Now, maybe you can sneak by, but to win six without rim protection, really, really difficult. You bring up six. That is the postseason. Everybody here talks about results, right? Especially the last four years. Two years, you don't make the tournament, and then early well, wait, exits. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa. We could have won the national title with Maxi quickly. Everybody, wait a minute. Yeah. We, the season was ended. Understood. So, Understood. No, no. Yeah. We could have won the national title. But, but. at Kentucky, yep. winning 25, 22, 20, and not being in the Final Four, that's not Kentucky good. We've been good, but not Kentucky good. Now, let's see where we are. Let's get this young team. Let's get some big guys. Nothing changes. Well, well you've done this, and what about now? It's the same. It doesn't matter what you did a year ago. How would you I describe can, that pressure, though? How would you describe it? Because it's such a unique thing that maybe five if, programs go through right, every year. So I always say this. If I'm worried about what they're saying in the seats, yeah. I'll be up there with them shortly. Okay. The second thing is your goal... Coaching in Kentucky isn't, yes, it's don't get under the desk in a fetal position. <laughs> like, and all I can tell you is I put more on myself yeah. than I feel anywhere else. And, and whether it's going into games, we play big games, we're on national television, and I get juiced for that. Mm -hmm. um, but I also get juiced trying to help these kids get where they're trying to go. I'm not doing it at the expense of young people. Let's have them do their thing mm -hmm. and let's prepare them for the future, yet let them know if we win at the highest level, which we've done here, 
everyone eats. You get six guys drafted. You get four lottery picks. Yeah. And while you do that, you still get the one pick. So we got to get that going. And I think we have a really talented group, but we need a big and or two. With this team, or we could play the one three one. No, <laughs> we could play. Yeah, I'm not taking that phone call. To do that. I'm not taking that phone call. Just so you all know, I call him every year, explain this one the one three one, and I never use it, not one time. That's great. With this team right now, and maybe where it's going, what keeps you up at night? Um, that we're not going to have that big. That keeps me up. I know my our guard play is really good. Uh, we have every player here can dribble, can pass, and can shoot now, and has a good feel for the game. Everyone, mm -hmm. and and Shay Alexander told me that in in uh, uh, Canada, coach, I like your team because they can all pass, dribble, and shoot, and they got a feel for this. So now it becomes getting them together, getting them to share getting them to take on roles, getting them to understand you're not taking 25 shots here. In a game you may, mm -hmm. but you can't average that because we got a bunch of other guys that are pretty good too. So the it takes time to get to that. And then if I can get them feeling empowered that it's their team and I can step away and they feel we're gonna be fine. How do you do that though with such young talent? How do you get them to feel it's their team? They, the young talent, they can't lead right away because they just walked on campus. Mm -hmm. But Michael Kidd and Anthony David, you, you're talking about guys, it took them time, but all of a sudden it became their team. And this this group of young players, now Antonio Reeves can really play and has gotten better. Trey Mitchell, come on now. I Transfer. Mean, yeah, portal. he yep. is, you know, and, and he is a guy that makes everyone around him better yet can still do stuff. Mm -hmm. Great passer, great creator, um, really smart. I got a smart team. So, again, to get them empowered, it means they start taking over practices, that individual player. And he then takes hold of this group. Lots of interesting comments there. Yeah, he does teach the one three one. He does use it. He, every once in a blue moon, he uses it. I remember he used it once as a tribute to Joe B. Hall to open a game. But uh, he and Joe taught it to him for the most part. So uh, yeah, if you see him in a one three one, probably something's terribly wrong. Um, but the comment about laying awake at night worrying about bigs, yeah, that's a telling comment. That's why we opened tonight's show with that. But also, I like the comment about kids taking ownership of the team. And yes, they are very young. But when you can invoke the names Anthony Davis and Michael Kidd Gilchrist, you're going to get their attention. And don't think for a minute he hasn't done that. But I do believe that with this team, there should be no surprise that they're comfortable taking ownership because it goes back to the basketball IQ with this group. They're mature beyond their years. And I think you saw that in the way they played up in Toronto. And we'll talk more about these Wildcats when we come back with Chuck Martin, assistant coach, here on Madness Night, 630 WAP. Welcome back to the Big Blue Insider, Dick Gabriel. With you joined now on our celebrity hotline by a guy I've not yet had the pleasure of meeting, Kentucky assistant coach Chuck Martin. Uh, coach, thanks for joining us. I appreciate you guys having me. I'm, uh, I'm excited to be on the show. Hey, uh, looking at your resume, man. You are 
all over the place. You're, you know, Eugene, Oregon to Poughkeepsie, New York to Memphis to South Carolina. I guess the only spot in the country you haven't hit is the Southwest. I mean, you have just a tremendous resume. How has that helped you in your line of work, Coach, just, just knowing every part of the country like you do? You know, it's interesting. It's a great question. I, I didn't intend on uh, moving around as much as I, I have in my career when I when I first started out. Honestly, I, I grew up in New York, and five years into my coaching career, I got an opportunity to go to St. John's University uh, in New York City, which for me was everything. And, um, and I thought I was going to be at St. John's the rest of my life. And sure enough, St. Pete had it where Coach Calipari called me and I joined him at Memphis. And then from that point on, I just, I've been all over the country and, um, and it's been super beneficial in regards to relationships. It's been super beneficial in regards to recruiting and, and also learning from other coaches around, around the, around the country. Yeah. You were with John Calipari at one of, if not the most successful run of basketball in Memphis, and I grew up in Louisville, so those U of L Memphis State rivalries were incredible as well. But uh, you guys had it going there; that had to be a ball. That was that was a, a fun time. It, it was a good group of kids who uh, they were coachable, they were talented, they were hungry, they were determined. Um, it was a fun group, and uh, and these guys, these guys on, on this current Kentucky team, uh, remind me of some of the. Some of the guys we had at Memphis. Really? Really? How so? Well, unselfish, hard workers, come from good families, um, uh, coachable, uh, team guys, always we over me. And, and you know, these, these guys, when, when we went up to Toronto, they were so unselfish. Yes. They were so, so willing to share the ball and the spotlight. I, I was really, really super impressed by this group and of course madness coming up uh, shortly uh but i was in toronto as well i made that trip and and everybody upstairs on the press tables coach we were just blown away by what you just talked about basketball iq sharing the basketball letting the game come to you uh you know they look like veteran players and you've got a couple three veteran players but top to bottom uh, you guys are with them every day, but what you saw against pretty good competition, did that surprise you at all? Yeah, I mean, for me it did. I I, I literally just joined the staff maybe a week or so prior, right. and so I didn't really – I have not had a chance at that point to watch those guys play and do individual work. And, you know, it was so early. It's July. I just didn't imagine the cohesiveness. Um, the synergy, the chemistry. I just would not have imagined at that time that we would share the ball the way we did. And, and it, was an, it was just a pleasant surprise as a coach. You know, when you see the ball moving, it's like, man, that's what it should look like. And, and those guys have been like that ever since. You know, I remember talking to Billy Donovan after he won his first title at Florida. And as you know, that team was all about chemistry. That's why they came back together and won a second one. And I asked Billy about that, about chemistry. He said, look, if I knew how to do that, how to find it, I'd do it every year. Nobody knows how to really go out and get it. It just has to happen on its own. And that's basically what's happened with this group, too. And it's a big group. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a big group, and and it's a fun group. 
And I think I think our fans are gonna really uh, enjoy rooting for these guys and mm-hmm. supporting these guys. They're an easy group to support, an easy group to cheer for, and uh, and they're here for the right reasons. And, and that makes it even better. They told us before the Toronto trip, during and after, that practices are so contentious in a good way. I mean, they're always going at each other. And uh, and Cameron Mills, who I don't know if you've had a chance to meet yet, former player, he'll be working the TV with me on the blue-white game. But he and I produced some documentaries, one of them on the uh, 96 title team at Kentucky. And they told us the same thing. Practices... The the five on five the pickup games were phenomenal, but that also helps that building process, doesn't it? Absolutely, uh, th- these guys are so competitive and so driven. But the neat thing is, when, when the game is over and practice is over, they're in the locker room uh, laughing and high fiving at dinner and breakfast mm-hmm. and, and lunch. It's a really good feeling. It's a really good feeling to see a group of guys work as hard as they do challenge each other the way that they do and when it's over there you know there's a brotherhood there's a connection yes yeah that's a great word for it a brotherhood you know and and to have a group come together so quickly like that and yeah there are veterans but uh, you know a couple of veterans are are transfers you know Trey Martin's still learning his way around campus you know but he's the old guy (laughs) and I love when I was talking to him he he just kind of has this quality where he just kind of hangs back a little bit and observes because, as he said, I've been all over the place. But he's yeah, he has yeah, marveled sure. at this. Yeah, he's been great. He, he it's a great way of describing Trey. He kind of sits back and let the young guys run around a little bit. He's kind of done this before, and and at the right time, he mm-hmm. he just has a great feel for when to uh, say something or do something. We're talking to Chuck Martin, Kentucky assistant coach, who was there, of course, when the Wildcats held pro day. The other night, what did you think of that? Obviously, I got to think, Coach, when you first heard about that, you must have thought, well, that's classic Calipari to put something together like that for ESPN. But what did you think about what you saw on Pro Day? I thought it was great. I thought our guys helped themselves in front of, you know, all 30 NBA teams. Um, They got a chance to show what we've seen for the last month. Uh, A bunch of guys who are really good basketball players, who are really good people, unselfish, hard workers, um, tough-minded kids. And we've been seeing it all along. Um, So it was great to share that with the 30 NBA teams. You know, in days gone by, and I've covered UK for (laughs) quite a while, um, something like that, 30 pro scouts, 30 teams represented, I know some teams send more than one, might leave some kids wide-eyed and, and distracted. But in this day and age, and again, you've recruited all over the country, so many different kids. Um, I got to think that in this day and age with AAU, social media, this and that, that doesn't really phase kids that much anymore. Am I right about that? Yeah, not not as much. But I, I am still amazed that, you know, 17, 18-year-old kids, um, were able to perform the way they did the other night in front of in front of those 30 teams. Uh, you know, I agree with you. I think it's gotten so much better in regards to they're not they're not phased by it because of social media. But I I, I still marvel at the fact that 17, 18 year old kids can just have the composure that they have yes. uh, in that moment. Yeah, that's a great word uh, because some kids 
might get a little overly excited, try to do too much. But I got to think, too, they can lean on each other. I think that's got to come in handy, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely, particularly with this group. They uh, they just have a chemistry that they kind of understand one another, which is amazing because they've only been together for a short period of time. But they they are certainly uh, there for one another and leaning on one another. And that, that's a good feeling. It wouldn't be fair to have you start breaking down each kid on the roster because there's so many. But I do want to ask you, simply because, as I said, I've, I've covered basketball here forever, uh, including, of course, uh, the 98 championship team. And I think one of the players who surprised us up in Canada with his all-around game, and I don't know why it's a surprise, because I saw Reed Shepard play in high school and, and you know, was a superstar at the high school level, but but an absolute team player. Uh, and, and what he did up there, and he, he'll tell you, I didn't have a good game. That first game, yes, you did. You just didn't score. He did everything else. Right. Uh, tell me a little bit yeah. about his development. Reed, Reed's been tremendous. He uh, he had a tremendous tournament up in up in Toronto. Uh, his, as you mentioned, there were nights where maybe he didn't score the ball the way he's accustomed to scoring it, but he, he facilitated. He made the right reads. He, he's such a better defender than people give him credit yes. for. He must have had like six or seven blocks yep. up in Toronto. <laughs> had his hands on just about every basketball. Um, like if you if you threw a careless pass, you know Reed Shepard was all over it. I, I mean he's he's going to be tremendous for us. He really the fans are going to really enjoy Reed Shepard. Oh my yes, absolutely. He's out there blocking three pointers for crying out loud. You know it's one thing to come over the, across the lane and block one, but in the back court. Unbelievable. Uh, incredible. He, he has a knack for it, which I've never, ever seen in my 25-year career, ever. Yeah, yeah. You know, another thing I liked in Toronto was that, uh, uh, who, was it Germany you played the last game? And I, yeah. as I understand it, they were talking a little smack after the first game, saying, yeah, we, you know, we, we want you guys again. And they made it. They had to come back in the, in the essentially the semifinal game to make that, that gold medal game. But they came back at you guys with purpose and made a couple of runs, and you guys stiffened and, and fought them off and won going away. What did that show you? It, it was incredible because, you know, those guys are pros. A handful of those guys are playing professionally in Europe. They're 23, 24 years old, and they were determined. You know, we, we they made a comment in regards to, you know, our group not being as good as people making them out to be, so they were – they were, you could tell immediately when the game started that they were physically, mentally prepared yes. for the challenge. And um, they hit us a few times, you know, but, but as you mentioned, we learned a lot about our group because we, we did bend, we just didn't break. You know, we, we, we wouldn't go away and, and we, we kept fighting. And, uh, and at the end of the day, we were able to get the, the win, which was a, a big win for us at that point. We're talking with Kentucky basketball assistant Chuck Martin, and we'll have more after the break here on the Big Blue Insider, 630 WLAP. Welcome back to the Big Blue Insider, 457-4471. Join us on 859-457-4471. Tweet us at Big Blue Insider 1 or email us, Big Blue Insider 1 at gmail.com. 
Talking to Chuck Martin, Kentucky assistant basketball coach. He'll be introduced tonight and not too long from now uh, at Madness. Uh, what do you know about Big Blue Madness at the University of Kentucky? You know, I only know what I see, what I've seen over the years, you know, on Sports Center or ESPN when, when you know, different outlets cover it. Um, I know it's a great opportunity for the fans and the teams to interact and a great opportunity for the fans to, to, to get to know our new team and our new guys, you know, and staff members to, to be introduced. It's, uh, I know it's an incredible fan base, so I'm, I'm looking forward to, to being a part of it tonight. I know the players have been talking among themselves about their walkout song and potential dance moves. Now, fortunately, as a coach, you don't have to worry about that. But is that that's, that, right. that's another sign, Chuck, of where we are now in this day and age, isn't it? Yeah, it's all part of the entertainment. You know, uh, fans want to see personality. I think um, they they want to get to know you on a deeper level. And and sometimes if you come out to a certain song or if they see a dancing, they get a chance to see who the seventeen, eighteen year old kid is at that moment. Because really. You know, a lot of these guys are, are exactly that. They're just 18-year-old kids, and uh, they get a chance to display that personality uh, for a few minutes on, on a big stage. A couple minutes left with Chuck Martin, who at one point was the head coach at Marist. You were a Red Fox. And I'm wondering, what, what is it like for you? Here, you know, you've worked at big-time programs now at Kentucky, Memphis, Indiana, uh, South Carolina, St. John's. What is it like, Coach at a place like Marist where Rick Smith came from, basketball people know that, but, you know, for the most part, if you make the NCAA tournament, you're hanging a banner. Uh, I got to think it's enjoyable on that level, but what is that like? You know, it was a great opportunity at the time for me to go back home uh, to New York, although it was upstate New York, right. still New York. Um, it gave me a chance to be a head coach and run my own program and, and learn a lot about myself. Um, I had some challenges there, and uh, but I learned a lot. And I knew when it was all said and done, I was going to be a better version of myself because of that experience. Yeah. And I remember saying to myself, whoever hires me next will, will benefit because of everything I've learned through the Maris experience. That's I, I had a feeling that's what you're going to tell me because being a, being in the first chair is quite different from being in the second chair, I know. You mentioned New York. You grew up in the Bronx, uh, I assume, consumed with basketball. What was that like? Yeah, it was great. You know, back then, there there wasn't AAU ball the way it is today. So you would wake up in the summer and get up early, lace them up, go to the playground, and there'd be 30, 40 guys waiting. And um, you would shoot the first 10 that makes, makes it. Those are the first 10 that play. And then you would just take a number. And, uh, and you would just kind of... You didn't want to lose because you you wouldn't get back on the court. So it was really it was great because you you learned a lot about life back then. You know your parents wouldn't walk you to the playground. Um, you weren't divided by age. You know it was like if you wanted to play and you were thirteen, and the rest of the guys were eighteen, you just had to be tough enough and good enough to figure out how to get on the court and stay on the court. So I learned a lot of. Uh, life lessons on, on the uh, black tops of New York City in the Bronx. Was it a kind of situation, Coach, where if you don't win, you don't play for a while? 
Yeah, that's exactly right. There were 30 guys waiting for next. And you didn't want to sit there for two hours in the sun not playing. Yeah. I mean, you, you would be pissed. So you would do everything in your power to stay on the court. It was not fun sitting in the sun, you know, not playing. No that doubt. just was not, that was the thing to do. No so you doubt. played as hard as you could, as you could to stay on the court. And then you went to Monmouth, as I understand it. I think I saw on your resume, uh, which is south of, of New York City and uh, east of Trenton, yeah. where my mother was from. But how did you end up in Jersey going to college? Um, there was a, a an assistant coach named Rob Kennedy, who's actually related to former head coach of Florida State, Pat Kennedy. Oh, yeah. And uh, so, uh, yeah, Rob recruited me to Monmouth and um, – had a uh, had an okay career, you know. Was, academically, was great. Uh, we did some nice things. Went to the NIT. Um, it was a one bid league. So my senior year, I believe, or well, my junior year, we were really good. Preseason number one, but we lost in the conference tournament, yeah. as you mentioned earlier. At the lower level, you can have a great year. If you lose in the conference tournament, you're you're done. But but it was a good experience. It was hard enough for me to get away. But yeah, close to get home to mom and dad. Coach, I know it's a busy day for you. I do appreciate your time. Looking forward to meeting you in person. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I appreciate you having me, and I'm looking forward to, to spending more time with you. Chuck Martin, who, as he pointed out, joined the Wildcats just before they went to Toronto. But he shores up John Calipari's staff. This is a guy, as I mentioned with him, who has all kinds of experience. His only head coaching stop in Maris didn't work out too well. Uh, he went 41 and 117 and got fired after five seasons. But as he said, the challenges at a place like that to recruit talent to Poughkeepsie, New York. Uh, and again, the, the one basketball player who put Marist on the map for just a little while was Rick Smith, who wound up in, uh, in the NBA. But uh, Chuck Martin has a wealth of experience as an assistant coach. And uh, he played professionally in the uh, Puerto Rican League for five years. He was born in San Juan, but as a youngster, moved to the Bronx, as he said. But, yeah, his resume is like Seton Hall, UMass, Drexel, St. John's, Memphis with John Calipari, then the Marist job, Indiana for three or four years, South Carolina for five years, from 2017 to 22, then last year was up at Oregon and now rejoins Calipari here in Lexington. So this guy has got, as I said, quite the resume, quite the collection of T-shirts if he kept them all. But um, he's a guy who is worldly, as you can tell, and should help this Kentucky team. But imagine getting the phone call from your former boss and signing on with Kentucky for this particular season and an opportunity to be a part of a team that I think is going to go far. Uh, you know, and this is a Kentucky team that needs the bigs, as we've mentioned, should have at least one, I would think. Probably two, maybe all three when the season is in full swing. I doubt, I don't know, something just nags at me. I have no way of knowing this that they'll have all three when the season begins. Because, and as you heard Calipari in the ESPN interview, if he if he's awake at night worrying about bigs, then you got to wonder. And that, I'm, I'm sure that's a coach's paranoia. 
But you do have to wonder, you know, what the prognosis is on the two kids with the injury. But we're all going to find out together for the most part, aren't we? All right, when we come back, we will shift back to football here on the Big Blue Insider 630 WLAP. <laughs> Insider is on. News Radio 630 WLAP. Welcome back to the Big Blue Insider. Coming up tomorrow, Kentucky, Mizzou, as the Wildcats try to bounce back from really an embarrassing night down in Athens, Georgia. And of course, if you're a Georgia fan, you'll always remember that as being one of the greatest night games you've ever experienced. I've been going down there for many, many years and have never seen a few night games, never seen anything like it. Eli Gain of LEX 18, BBN Tonight, he was there as well, field side covering. Eli, thanks for joining us. And, you know, you've, you've covered Notre Dame. You've been around Kentucky. I mean, how would you rate and rank that experience? I mean, the Georgia fans got it done, didn't they? Oh, uh, yeah. They, and they always do, too. Like, no, th- this was a. Uh... Last weekend was sort of a bucket list item for me because I knew what, like it was, it's been a few years since one, since Georgia had like uh, an SEC night game under the lights like that. That's right. And, and you see everything like on social media, like how cool the light show is and all that stuff. So this was always something that I was like, this is just going to be a cool atmosphere to experience. And yeah, they came out full force. Uh, they nailed it. How I would rate it. So I was actually thinking about that last weekend. I'm going to put it at number three in my coverages. Yeah. Number number one was back in 2016 when Notre Dame played at Texas. Oh wow! In the in the in the season opener. Yeah. That was something else. Yeah. That went to like overtime. Longhorns put a 50 burger on them. <laughs> Crazy. Number two, I would honestly have to go to Rocky Top last year. Do you remember the atmosphere for that? Oh, yes. That was something else. That was like one of the only games where you could feel um, your ears ringing Mm -hmm. at some point. So I'm going to put that at number one. or uh, Sorry, at number two. And then, yeah, Georgia last weekend was number three for sure. That place was... It's something else. My girlfriend is, is an alum there too, so she's oh wow, she's experienced it, you know, many a time. So uh, yeah, it, it was good atmosphere, not a great outcome, so no, to speak. No. But it's, it's it's something that you're gonna that we remember for a long time. Yeah, you know, you know, it's ironically enough, it was that outcome, the way it played out, that took just a little bit of the shine off of it because it became a blowout so early with all due yeah. respect to Kentucky, that the fans kind of went, okay, what do we do now? You know, they didn't have to carry the team through the game, but they certainly had a lot of fun. Well, let's get to the game that you covered. Right. And I got to think that you were a little surprised at how that played out. But when I, when I, if I told you before the game, there will be some unwarranted penalties, some silly mistakes, right. you, you know that has played into the theme of this season. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, that was, yeah. Um, trying to think of a word. Disappointing, to say the least, I think. I think I think that's what everyone says. Uh, we've all been saying that, like, all week. Yeah. Of just, yeah, the, the undisciplined mentality type of approach that was taken to it. And, and as you said, it was, it happened so fast that you're just like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, man, like, okay, well. 
I guess that's it. You know, like it was over, like almost right when it started. There was, and, um, there was such a build yeah. up to the game. And like you said, it was over almost it, before it started. Yeah. And like, I remember, so, so for this game, it was actually the first time I watched the game from the press box. So like I had some, I had a coworker with me yeah. who was shooting the game, yeah. which is different. So I had like a chance to, Sort of like this, like look from up top, which I haven't watched a game like that in a very long time, uh-huh. just to see every, you know, all 22 players on the right. field doing their thing. And I remember just like those first few tribes where, you know, that seven yard run from Ray Davis yeah. called back for a holding penalty. Yep. And then you got the personal foul call, both on Jagger, tough, tough. And I remember like, so I was sitting up with uh, other colleagues of ours, like Aaron Gershon was sitting next to me. Right. And, I, and like, uh, I remember the missed wide open throw. Ugh. And I just like, <laughs> my head just snapped over to him. I'm just like, <laughs> it's going to be one of those. I'm like, it's going to be one of those nights, huh? Yeah. And we were just like, yeah, I can't do that on the road against number one. No. Um, yeah, very, yeah, it was tough. Um, but, you know. <clears throat> Kentucky had to be on. close to perfect. <laughs> They had to be close to perfect, yeah. and yet hope Georgia was not. And Georgia yeah. was absolutely – that's another thing, Eli. Oh. Surprised that Kentucky wasn't more disciplined, but also I was surprised at how well Georgia played, having seen what I – and everybody else had seen up until that point. I know. That was the talk of, like, the entire week. It was like, well, Kentucky, I think they actually have a real shot this year. Georgia isn't as dominant as they've yeah. been the last two years. Yeah routing teams only winning by you know a score or two in the previous two weeks and then yeah georgia became georgia again um on the national stage right in front of our very eyes and kentucky just happened to be in the crosshairs of the bulldogs wanting to get things going again and yeah. i mean even kirby was saying <laughs> when you have to ask the coach at halftime uh, in terms of the broadcast for espn i think Kirby was like, well, we're not playing very good defense. And like when you're still dominating the game, <laughs> that, that's when you're just like, okay, like, all right, <laughs> like this is, this is obviously all coach speak and stuff, but you have your guys rolling, you know, you're happy with what you're doing. And yeah, uh, just a, just a steamroll, so to speak. Well, and I'm sure he saw what you all saw, which was Kentucky has been able to move the ball a little bit yeah. here and there has had people wide open, not hitting them. So Kentucky really, to a point, was beating itself. I know. Yeah, so that was like one of the, an emphasis that I had earlier this week in one of my hits or whatever. But yeah, like those those wide open throws and like some of these misses that are happening and like, I know like the offense has dealt with like some drops and stuff, but yeah. like Liam's done... <laughs> He had the game plan right. It yep. seemed like you know, in that first quarter, and then he had to derail and just like completely change it. But yeah, when they were able to make some of these plays, and then you, you get excited, and then it, it deflates really quickly. One because again, we talk about the penalties that set you behind the chains. But like the miss wide open throw, like that one to Tavion Robinson that I mentioned earlier was yeah. like that was a real gut punch. And like we've seen that a couple times this year. Um. You probably know a little bit more than I do, just like kind of seeing everything evolve on the field, on the sideline. Like some of those missed throws are concerning. And it's like, yeah, God, can you even, <laughs> like, what can you even do? And like sometimes I even wonder, I mean, just when we were talking to Liam earlier this week and 
I think it was Nick Roush was asking like, what's like, what's going on with Devin? Like, is this, uh, yep. is this a thing that happens during practice? Like, is he inaccurate then too? And Liam's just like, yeah, it's like hit or miss, you know? Like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's how it works. But he feels like he's been a little more accurate in practice and then it doesn't translate over to game days. And it's mm-hmm. just like, now we're at week six in the season. It's like, well, is this what it is then? You know, you're halfway through the year and you're still kind of waiting for that big game uh, from him. I'm not sure what injury-wise, if that's if that's a thing, just mentality. But, yeah, it's, it's been a little concerning, but hey, we're still 5-1. But you, you know, know what's, what's tantalizing <laughs> about Devin Leary is those games where he struggles in the first half, comes out mm-hmm. in the second half, and he's almost yeah, perfect, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, we definitely noticed that in the first couple of games where, I mean, that Ball State and EKU, it was like, I mean, like, us shooting the game, we were just like, is Devin good? Yeah. <laughs> like, is he a good quarterback? Is he the right guy? And then he comes out in the second half, and it's like, you know, 10 of 11, you know, like, things like that. And it's like, oh, okay, like, he'll, he'll be good. Like, he'll make his... You know he'll he'll do this more consistently as the year goes on. That was just within the first two games where it, like evaluating him. Haven't seen it yet, <laughs> and it's just like ah, like come on, because like you love the guy, like he's such a good dude. Yeah. Um, and like he, he knows he's like hey, like I don't have a lot on my mind or anything. I just need to go out there and like make the layups. Yeah. Yeah. Go make the layups, man, <laughs> because we're all rooting for you to do it, yeah. and. You just need to see it come together. And Mizzou's defense this weekend, not great. <laughs> so, like, this is, uh, I think this is a good, like, uh, get right game or maybe even a coming out game. Yeah. I guess I would say for Devin because he hasn't had that explosive game yet where everyone's like, whoa, like, look at number 13. And this is a good opportunity for him uh, Saturday night to be able to do something like that. Eli Gain is my guest from LAX 18 BBN tonight. We'll come back and talk more football with Eli on the other side of the break here on 630 WLAP. Welcome back to the Big Blue Insider 457-4471. Join us on 859-457-4471. Tweet us at Big Blue Insider 1 or email us BigBlueInsider1 at gmail.com. Welcome back to the Big Blue Insider. Eli Gain, my guest from LEX 18 BBN tonight, the UK flagship TV station. You mentioned Missouri, and yeah, the Mizzou defense, boy, LSU cut right through it. But then again, Jaden Daniels is playing as well as any QB in the country, not named Caleb Williams. Uh, And we just talked about Devin Leary's struggles. But Kentucky has other offensive weapons. However, the Wildcats have spent all week trying to get better. So have the Tigers. They're well coached. I think you're gonna. It's gonna look like two teams arm wrestling tomorrow night, Eli. Don't you? Oh yeah, absolutely. And like, even if they both didn't lose last week, yeah, I think it would kind of be that way anyway. Like this has been like one of those. It's been what a rivalry that's like what twelve years or something yeah. like that. Like not not very old. But I think it's like picking up a little traction for itself. Yeah. Like every time these guys play, it like something. I was talking to Andrew Phillips on Wednesday, and I like I asked him. I was like, "What is it about like this game 
because it doesn't pop off as like a UK versus Florida or, you know, UK versus Louisville, like whatever. But he said, like, there's always something that happens in the game <laughs> that, right. that you sort of remember. It's so, like there's like the, the sideline fighting. Oh, like there's, yeah. there's like, there's like the pregame, like back in 2018, the pregame when, you know, uh, Missouri stadium was under construction and right. they both had to like come out of the same tunnel and they're pushing the fence against each other back and yeah. forth. There's just always something that happens in this game that makes you think like, wow, this is getting pretty, I want to say like physical. And then I think Phillips even mentioned is like, whoever's the most sound physical team is the one that usually comes out on top. And more like Kentucky's won seven of the last eight or something like that. Yeah. I think off the top of my head. Yeah. It's always like a, just one of those really fun, like new interleague rivalries that always makes you think like this, this is going to be a good game. And um, I expect that too. And yeah, I imagine both of them coming off of, you know, a pretty heartbreaking loss last weekend. They're both going to be pretty pissed off. So they're going to want to get right and get back on the ship in the winning column. So I'm expecting a good one. And I actually get to watch this. Yeah, no, go ahead. Go ahead. You you get to watch most stairs again. Is that what you're going to say? Yeah. So I was going to say, (laughs) yep. So, so my girlfriend's parents are in town this weekend. They're Mizzou alums. So this is going to be the first game that I've had off where I'm not working in six years. Wow. So I'm actually going to be in the, uh, the bleachers. Yeah. In the stadium. Field watchable game. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be crazy. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, but yeah, it's, it's going to be awesome. The only times I've gotten to do that are when I'm at a <laughs> Bengals game, you know, yeah. tickets. And, and I'll be honest with you. Uh, I've been to Bengal games where I sit in the press box and I don't know if you have or not, but mm-hmm. it's it's fully enclosed. In other words, there's no noise at all. It's after being on the yeah. sidelines for 35 years, I, I could not get used to that. I need that yeah. noise. You know what I mean? It's yes, absolutely. It's so weird. And yeah. like I, I was saying that last weekend. It's, the thing about Sanford Stadium is like the press box there. It, it's open. Yeah. So there is no the window like closing you out. You right. you get to feel all of it. That's right. And that sort of thing. But. But yeah, it was like just a different experience. I almost felt like I was in the wrong because it, you felt like I wasn't on the sideline, like shooting the game. It felt weird and different. Yeah, It's going to be to a different level, I think, this weekend, at least for me personally, to just be sitting up in the bleachers watching the game and not doing anything. <laughs> it's going to feel weird. It's going to be like an out-of-body experience almost. Yeah. <laughs> just imagining, like, why am I not down on the sideline right now? But I'm, uh, I'm gonna soak it all in. But yeah, yeah, different experience. It's, it's yeah. crazy. I actually had a, a guy who worked for me many years ago. I uh, was from Georgia, but played soccer at Kentucky, and, and was a good employee, a uh, really good shooter, editor, all that. And he, I, I gave him the weekend off, and he went to the Florida Georgia football game, the <laughs> world's greatest cocktail party. And it made him, it made him understand that he, and he went with his buddies and just had a huge time, made him understand mm-hmm. that he really missed that. And he left the business, yeah. he left our business, went into <laughs> pharmaceutical sales because he just wanted to be a part of that again. And then he said, uh, when he went the following year, when he wasn't in the business, 
and he watched and he kind of, he said, you know, I kind of wish I was on the sideline shooting the game because he was a really good shooter. <laughs> he said, but then I saw the guys as soon as the game was over running to the locker room or running to the satellite truck or running to their editor. And he said, boy, am I glad I'm not those guys. So don't let that happen to you. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I can guarantee that will not happen. I, I do understand that of like, hey, you don't have to go through the stress of doing the game. You don't have to carry everything around and do stuff. You get to sit and watch it, but you are going to miss it. And I think I will miss it yeah. this weekend of, of not being down there. But you know, it's 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 a balancing act. Yeah, I know. You know, I know. It's like taking strike. But and you're a, you're a weekend guy. People don't understand how much more stress there is. On a weekend, guys. So anyway, uh, a couple minutes left with Eli Gain of LEX 18 BBN tonight. Uh, Burden may be the best receiver in America, clearly in the SEC. How do you think Kentucky handles him? Well, I'll tell you one thing. They're definitely up for the challenge of it. Um, I know they're excited when, you know, defensive backs, you know, they're kind of, I don't want to say they have like egos, but they want to prove themselves like a lot, I think, as a general uh, census, but I mean, again, I go back when I was talking to Andrew on Wednesday. I was like, "What's it like when you have to go against, you know, a top ranked receiver, like a top yeah. dog, yeah, pretty much in the entire country?" And it, it, he was, he, he put it nicely. He was like, "Well, I, I don't think I'm going to be more dialed in or anything. You have to treat every game like the same." But there's something there that makes you want to prove, like, "Hey, I got to shut this down." And if you shut it down then you get talked about a little bit more. So essentially I think Luther, he's going to get, he'll get his catches. I mean, Mizzou isn't, you know, they're not just going to like go away from him. They'll like break up. will find him and he'll get his numbers, but it's just about getting like, not uh, what's, what is it? Uh, The bend don't break system. Yeah. Yeah. Is I think is what they're going to have to worry about, but yeah, he's, He's, uh, he's one of those receivers that comes along and you're going to keep your eyes on him the entire game. It was like Brock Bowers last week. You have to keep your eye on him the entire time. But, I mean, he's all universe. Yep. So he was able to do whatever he wanted to do. Just try not to let that happen again this week, <laughs> especially well, in front of the home crowd. They got but, him in the slot yeah. now, so that gives them more flexibility. Yeah. They use him mm-hmm. on a jet sweep. And what's yes. the most amazing thing to me is that middle of last season – he was talking about transferring because he wasn't happy with the way they were using him and he was implying mm-hmm. it, but um, yeah, they woke up fairly quickly. But to your point, Brady cooks, making it happen for him. I mean, it's just, you know, oh, you yeah. can't have one without the other. No, oh, absolutely. And, and like, yeah, as you mentioned, like with how versatile he is, like playing in the slot and doing all the jet sweeps and stuff, it just yeah. makes things so much easier for Brady and, uh, and that offense. And it makes him hum. And it's going to be, I hope they don't get into a shootout um, because Mizzou's pretty much been doing that every single game they've played it this year. Got to get off the field on third downs. Uh, That that was a big emphasis this week, I think. And communication and getting off the field on third downs is going to be key to to slow down that the duo of of Cook and Burden. That's right. Brady can Brady can cook and Luther can be a burden to your defense. So ah, that's, very good, very that's, good. Yeah, that's, I get that's it. Gonna be, <laughs> ooh, zing, yeah, fun, yeah, yeah, yeah. But now, like, it's yeah, it's, it, that's a that's a duo that that's going to be challenging. But you have to respect that they're probably going to get theirs, and then 
just hope that you make some plays during those timely sure. manners of the game to, to get off the field and get back in the win column and go 6-1. and one. Eli Gain, LEX18, tell everybody how to follow you on X or Twitter or whatever you want to call it. Uh, yeah, if you want to. I don't do very much on Twitter anymore. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's just my name. It's, yeah, yeah, Facebook. I do have a Facebook. I get on there from time to time. But it's okay. literally just my name, Eli Gain, G-E-H-N-T-V, gotcha. on pretty much any social media format. But also, um, I'm on Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday. Um, I anchor the late 11 o'clock for LEX18. And then, um, of course, BBN tonight at 7.30, BBN game day Saturday mornings at 9. Uh, we're doing all the stuff with that. So that's that's how we're pushing on our time. You roll. That's how you roll. That's, that's how we roll. That's all how right. we roll, and we hope we give you the good coverage for it. Well, I hope you and the girlfriend and her parents have a great time not working Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be something else. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> Uh, thanks, Dick. I appreciate it. That's Eli Gain, but what do Tom and Jeff have to say about tomorrow night's game? We'll hear from them when we come back. Here on the Big Blue Insider, 630 WLAP. Welcome back to the Big Blue Insider. Thanks again to Eli Gain of LAX 18. Coming up tomorrow night, as we have been talking all night, all week, Kentucky and Missouri network coverage begins at 5:30. Tom Leach and Jeppico and I uh, take over at seven o'clock, a half an hour before game time, and we do a, a quick whip around, as we call it, to open the game or open our portion of the broadcast. But we thought we would get together a few weeks ago and start putting a little podcast together that we call the Wildcat Whip that we release on Thursday or Friday and uh, give you a little extra additional look at what we think will happen coming up. And you can listen to that uh, wherever you get your podcast via the UK Sports Network. So here's just a, a sampling of the Wildcat Whip as Tom Leach and Jeff Picoro join me here in the garage to talk about Kentucky and Missouri. Who gets the short straw on burden? I mean, Missouri's got good players. He is by far the best and he'll he'll get his catches like Van told you on your show, but you got to minimize his damage. So how do you, I think he chops up zone. So do they man? Do they double team him? Probably. I'm guessing. And he's a slot now. I was gonna say, because of that, when Kentucky goes five DBs, they move Phillips to the slot. Yeah. I, so maybe Andrews the guy takes. Uh, he sounded like he it. was. Do you when remember he, when Trevard Lindley was here? I can't remember who the receiver was, but he. If he was on the right side, Trevard went to the right side. Remember, if he was yeah. on the left side of the field or boundary, he went and covered that guy. It may have been Gibson or whatever for Georgia, one of those yeah. guys. But uh, I think we might see that. You have to put your best cover guy on him. He's the Jerry Rice for that team. Yeah. Um, the reason they put him in this slot is so he won't get jammed and he can move at the line of scrimmage. Um, but he is, I mean, his numbers are already a season's worth, and they still have half a season to go. <laughs> He's got almost 800 yards and over 50 catches. Yeah. A He's big averaging help, nine though, a game. To your point, get that defensive line back to how they yep. were playing previously and get pressure in the, the face of the quarterback and hit Make him. Make them throw that short stuff. Yeah, Brady Cook has nearly 1,900 yeah. passing yards. He's looking like the guy they need him to be. Yeah. Plus, he can run. He scored two touchdowns on Kentucky yeah. last year running the ball. Tom Leach and Jeff Picoro here in the garage. That's the Wildcat Whip. And again, you can find that wherever you get your favorite podcast. Just look for the UK Sports Network. We have comments from both coordinators from practice this week. Neither, of course, pleased at all with what happened 
down in Athens, Georgia. Offensively, it looked like Kentucky had a pretty good idea, but as you know, that game plan went right out the window after the Cats fell behind. And part of that offensive game plan ruptured by the penalties. You know, if, if you're moving the ball, next thing you know, it's second and 20. What are you going to do against Georgia and Athens? So the Wildcats offensively didn't give themselves a good enough chance to perform. Uh, but one of the first questions to Liam Cohen was about, and a lot of pass or a lot of uh, questions were about the passing game. And he said, and it's been happening all year, uh, they practice well. It works well on the practice field. But then when they get into the game, not so much. What he's talking about essentially is game slippage. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we throw and catch it a little bit better during the week of practice than we end up doing on, on Saturday. And, um, you know, can't really always point to, to why, you know, for one, one reason or another. Um, it's just overall, you know, execution, you know, pitching, catching, running the right route at the right depth and, and just, you know, making some throws and being in the right timing and rhythm and making the right decision. I think we made the right decisions for the most part uh, on Saturday. We just, you know, we, at the end of the day, we have to make those throws and, and make those catches. You saw what Cohen could do his first year here with a quarterback like Will Levis, who was clearly more accurate, at least right now, than uh, Devin Leary. And you got a guy like Wandale Robinson, who I can only remember maybe one drop. He probably had more, but drops were not a problem two years ago. And Cohen is confident in Leary, confident in his receivers and the entire offense. And he says it seems like once it takes hold, he believes it'll lock in. You know, it's just going to take, hopefully it takes some time. Maybe it just takes a play. Maybe it takes a game for us to, uh, to click. You know, it needs to click. We want it to click. We're working on it to click. And at the end of the day, it just hasn't quite yet. And there's been moments. Um, but hopefully, you know, hopefully here soon, one of those games or one of those moments or one of those, you know, plays allows us to start to click on all cylinders. When it comes to offense this year, the run game has been more consistent than the passing game. And Cohen said, though, he is not going to lose faith in how the Wildcats are capable of throwing the football. It's just coming back to work every day and, and, and ultimately, um, you know, putting your head down and going to work and getting it, you know, trying to work at it. I mean, these kids aren't going to quit. The coaches aren't going to quit. We're not going to just say, well, we haven't thrown the ball well, so let's just stop throwing it. And that's... I didn't do that Saturday as a play, you know, as a play call. I trusted these kids to make throws and catches, and I'm going to continue to do so and, and, until that happens. All of that said, here comes Missouri with a tough defense, and I kind of like the way Cohen described the Tigers. I mean, they're salty. You know, they're well coached. Um, they're very well coached. Um, they they'll pressure you. They'll play some three. They they're not afraid to get up in your grill and play man coverage. Uh, I think they rush the passer pretty well. Um, they create some confusion at the second level. Their linebackers can run. Their safety, I remember number one, the safety that's been playing, you know, for a couple of years now. They're smart. You can tell. I mean, their third down package is pretty uh, annoying. And um, they just do some good things. They're, they're just a good, solid defense that, um, you know, it's a huge test for us. Obviously, coming off struggling uh, on our side of the ball to score points and move the football for us to come back with the right mentality and, and come out and execute at a high level. Now, as for Brad White, Cohen's counterpart on defense, he was really kind of terse. I won't say sullen, but you could tell he was not happy 
uh, after practice. And it wasn't about the practice, just about what had happened Saturday. But when we had a chance to talk to him, uh, he was not a smiling guy, no doubt. And he is concerned about a Missouri team with a multifaceted offense. A lot of weapons. You know, the quarterback's playing at a really high level, really confident in his ball placement. Uh, he's big. He's athletic. Um, so he is, you know, he's arguably, you know, one of the top QBs in this league and, you know, playing at a level that you could make an argument he's, you know, as, as good as anybody, you know, in the country. And so um, he's playing really well. Obviously, uh, Burden is playing at an extremely high level, and you can see by the receptions, the yards, what he does once the ball's in his hand, really dangerous. Uh, they've got a really uh, physical and productive running game. A lot of weapons, and they've all been, you know, in, in different times in, in the game and throughout the year have have stepped up and made plays. So you've you got a lot of options that you they can count on and that we've got to uh, account for. Wildcats go from trying to stop Bowers to trying to stop Burden, and White said, yeah, apples and oranges to a point, but you still have to account for them, and they're still, Burden is like Bowers, difficult to stop you know when he gets the ball in his hand obviously he has speed but he's super physical uh you know and you saw how many you know tackles sort of he broke um you know luther does the same way just in a different way he's elusive um he's shifty he can change speeds you know which is deceiving and you know because he can be smooth and it doesn't feel like he's running then all of a sudden he hits a gear and so uh those kind of guys are really, really tough to defend, both from a route running standpoint and then especially when the ball's in your hand because as a tackler, you know, you're trying to pace your angle and then all of a sudden at the last second he accelerates and, you know, he can blow through that angle. He's made a lot of uh, plays and scored a lot of touchdowns by guys feel like they've taken the right angle and at the last second he explodes by and now he's down the sideline. So leverage on the football, you know, uh, team tackling. Uh, is going to be huge. Somebody asked Brad White about the D-line, which has played well this year, but Carson Beck was hardly bothered in the win over Kentucky. They, they were able to get very little pressure on him. And White said the D-line's got to be better. The back four, the back seven have to be better, which would help the D-line against Mizzou. There's a lot, there's a lot to that. And, you know, some of it, you know, it's credit to them that they they blocked us. Some, you know, execution and, you know, hesitation when there should be no hesitation. Um, so, yeah, we, we've got to do better. You know, we've got to be able to help uh, in the back end. And then, you know, the back end's got to do do their part for the front end, too. And they, they got to make them hold the ball for a click. And so uh, we talk about all the time that both sides, every – Everything works together. The back end helps the front end. The front end helps the back end. And when they're playing in unison, uh, that's when you're productive. And we were we were not in sync in any form or fashion. And that's what we have seen up until the Georgia game all year long. Uh, you cannot give the quarterback time to sit back and be comfortable. When you got a guy like Carson Beck, who's really good, he's underrated because he did not quarterback yet the Bulldogs to one of those national titles. But let him sit back there, pat the football, as they say, and look for those good wide receivers or running backs coming out of the backfield, and he'll be even better. Brady Cook, I think, is better than Carson Beck, 
and they can't let him look for burden all day long. Otherwise, they will pay a terrible price. Missouri opened up with a win over South Dakota, struggled to beat Middle Tennessee, but then bounced back with a win over then 15th-ranked Kansas State, beat a so-so Memphis team, and then handled Vanderbilt before blowing that game to LSU. So, yeah, they're going to be focused coming in. We'll wrap up on the other side of the break. 630 WLAP. Welcome back to the Big Bone Insider, final segment of our program. If you're listening, we thank you, and you're probably in your car, because otherwise, if you're a Kentucky fan, you are either at Madness or you're watching it on TV. Uh, but, we, again, we, we do appreciate the fact that you're listening, or maybe you're listening in podcast form, and we thank you for that as well. Madness tonight, a week from tomorrow, it's blue-white up in northern Kentucky on the NKU campus, and if you can't get there, we'll have it for you here on 630 WLAP with Tom and Jack. Not the full network broadcast treatment, pretty much what they did last year in Pikeville, just sort of an abbreviated version of the game broadcast. It will be televised on the streaming channel, SEC+. Plus. So you can watch it on your computer, your iPad, your phone, your watch, however you can get your Internet. And Cameron Mills and yours truly will have the broadcast for you once again. We we had it in Pikeville last year, and we had a ball. We had a great time, and it was an interesting game. You might recall they barely had enough players uh, at the time because of injuries and all that. It was five-on-five. Five. Nobody fouled out, but that won't be the case this time. So we'll have that one for you on SEC Plus next Saturday. Football open date, so Time for basketball. Heroes, Fools, and Flakes. And really, the hero is Mattress Mac for coming to the rescue in part and just trying to help with Mary Lou Retton and, and leading the way for her. Essentially, it's a GoFundMe situation. But I did want to mention this. And, and, uh, you know, that's a terribly serious situation. But if you want to talk about something that's fun, George Kittle says his T-shirt was worth the fine he likely will have to pay. And he said, I would do it again. After the Niners blew out the Cowboys 32-10, to 10, and he had three touchdowns on three catches, he lifted up his jersey, and under it was a T-shirt that said simply, Blank F Dallas. And, uh, yeah, he likely will have to pay a little bit of money from the league, which is supposedly considering a fine of about 11 grand because the league forbids players from taking the field with personal messages on their uniform. Now, technically, this was under the uniform, but I guess once he lifts his jersey, it becomes part of the uniform. Kittle's not going to feel it. He has a five-year deal worth $75 million. He admitted it was an inappropriate word, but it is what it is. He said, it was a decision I made. If they want to find me, they find me. And part of this, of course, is the fact that I hate the Cowboys. Our fool tonight, Sean Payton. Yeah, that's the same guy who ripped Nathaniel Hackett in the offseason about just basically being a terrible coach, doing a terrible job in Denver. And then this genius... In a huge game with the Chiefs last night, one that the Broncos, who are horrible, 
could have won, and it wasn't just because of this, but it contributed. Peyton called a timeout late in the first half before a Broncos punt with 22 seconds to go before halftime. It should have been the Chiefs calling timeout. Peyton thought it was third down and wanted to get another offensive play call. Well, what happens? Thank you very much, say the Chiefs. Stops the clock, punt it away. That gave them just enough time with a guy named Patrick Mahomes playing quarterback who marched the ball down the field, got it to the 42-yard line, and Harrison Butker drilled a 60-yarder for three more points just before the half. And Peyton said, that was a boneheaded mistake by me. They were calling one as well, and I'm off by a down, but that was stupid. Yeah, but what else was stupid was calling out a fellow coach. Whether he did a good job or not, by all accounts, he did not. But to call out Hackett the way he did, all you do is make yourself a moving target for any kind of criticism like that. Our flake tonight, <sighs> flaky situation again, and you hurt for Neil Brown, the Boyle County native, head coach at West Virginia. His team was seconds away, literally, from pulling off a big comeback win over Houston on the road. And what do the Cougars do? Well, from the 49-yard line, they throw a Hail Mary. Donovan Smith, the quarterback, cranks one. And the Mountaineers are all over it at the goal line, but they tip it, bat it, and wouldn't you know, Stephon Johnson of Houston comes down with the football. The Hail Mary giving Houston a 41 39 win and the quarterback said we practiced that we always have a guy ready for the tip that's right Johnson had his back to the quarterback and was simply watching the scrum at the goal line and to be fair the Mountaineer defenders did not try to pull it down they did not try for the interception they batted the ball well when the Cougars batted the ball as well I don't know who sent it back toward the field of play but that tip sent it right into the hands of Johnson standing on the goal line, and he wins. And the quarterback, Donovan Smith, completed his final 16 passes. And that one was his four, well, actually his third touchdown pass, and he ran for one as well. Houston getting its first Big 12 win. That might have run, that would have run West Virginia's record of 6-1. and one. Neil Brown, a little bit of a hot seat over there in Morgantown, and certainly this didn't help. That's going to do it. Thanks so much for joining us. Hope you enjoy the football weekend. Listen to the game right here. We'll have it for you next week with any luck at all. We're talking about a Kentucky victory. That's it. Good night from the garage in Lexington. It's routine surgery. Oh, yeah? My friend, Bob Sacamano, he came in here for a hernia operation. Oh, yeah, routine surgery. Now he's sitting around in a chair by a window going...
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.